0: Chats from the Blog Cabin.
1: Your favorite podcast is here.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Chats in the Blog Cabin. You know, the show where I invite people virtually into the blog cabin to chat about life. Um, today, we're talking about how life is what you make of it. And I'm being joined by Dave Baldwin. Dave was actually referred to me by my very dear friend, Erica Berger, who you may remember was on Restored for Moms panel. So, Dave is a self taught entrepreneur who first went into business for himself in 2007 after 10 years in the technical field. But we're going to talk about a whole lot more than just technology and going into business by yourself. We're going to talk about how you changed during that time. So welcome to the show, Dave, and tell us a little bit more about yourself.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Melissa. And yeah, I I, I always say that I have a very varied background because I've had a whole bunch of different jobs. I even had one person ask me one time, is there any job that you haven't done? So I, I think that one of the things that I've learned when you talk about not only starting a business or or the money side of it. But if you think about the personal development side, I I think the biggest mindset shift that I've had to continuously learn myself to teach myself to make is that if you're if you're being hired as an employee to do a job, there is a very well-defined structure that's already in place. There's a job function. There's a lane that you need to stay in. And there's very well-defined rules to play by. And when you start your own business, it's anything but that. There, there's no well-defined rules. You're often thrown into situations where the, the rules change if they're even clear to begin with. The role is not well-defined. The role does not stay stable over time necessarily. And the needs and expectations are tend to change, assuming they're even clear in the first place, which oftentimes they're not. And that's partly where the value that you bring as an entrepreneur is to be able to come into a situation and say, okay needs are not clear, expectations aren't clear, and really take the reins and and help somebody understand how to utilize your skills, which is in many ways the opposite of what we're trained for in going to school. Mm -hmm. And so that was really, uh, in some ways, a mindset shift I did not fully anticipate. I don't think it's something you can anticipate until you have just dealt with it enough. But I I think that's one of the things that that is really my biggest commitment in life and what I see as my life mission is is really supporting people in in achieving freedom in ways that we we often don't realize we can. And and oftentimes, sometimes we even take for granted that we're going to have freedoms that, in fact, are take more work than we realize and more conscious effort. But I, I think that starting a business is not necessarily for everybody but I think everybody should at least consider the possibility that what you thought you were going to do when you grew up is not necessarily going to be what you end up doing.
0: So true. So what made you decide to start your own business?
1: Well, or, originally, I, I think that I when I was for 10 years, when I was working as a computer programmer and systems technician with on, working on control systems, I just got to a point where I realized I wanted to be working with people and not with machines all day. And I didn't want to spend the next 50 years crawling around in electrical cabinets. But I think ultimately the the bigger reason behind it was not simply a functional question. But I realized that while the, the work that I had done up to that point in my career was fun and challenging in a number of different ways, I'd noticed that. I was always having to live life on somebody else's terms that, you know, when, when, I, when you work at a job, you know, what days you get to have off and you know, how much money you make and all those different things, it's all defined by one employer and, and how they operate. And, and I realized that if I was going to be able to live life on my terms, it was going to require a fundamental restructuring of my priorities.
0: Now you talked about living your life on your own terms. You also took a major step in health wise as well in living your life on your own terms, which I think is a great part of your story.
1: Yeah. 2007 was, was a major landmark year in a number of different ways because that was, I mean, I was at probably at at my least healthy phase in life was around 2001, 2002. I was about a hundred pounds heavier than I am now. Uh, at one point, I smoked about a pack and a half a day. Uh, I just had a horrible diet. I mean, exercise was non-existent, all that kind of stuff. 2007 was was the year. It really goes back a little bit to 2006 was, was some of the pieces that got set in motion that, that started it. But uh, 2007 was the year when I realized that if I wanted to be able to, to do a lot of things I wanted to do, health needed to become more of a priority than it had been. And so I, I, I quit smoking. I, I will admittedly fell off the wagon once, but 2009 I quit for the last time. And uh, I mean, I got rid of. I, I would say I made a major overhaul on my diet in 2007. I, my my daily routine going to work was to stop and get two large cans of Rockstar energy drinks and a, a 20 ounce coffee every morning. And I, I don't think I ever drank water at all. Pretty much, I drank soda and and just ate junk food all the time. I just was horrible about going to vending machines whenever I wanted, getting a bag of Funyuns and potato chips and all that stuff. And I, I I decided to get deliberate about my diet. I started drinking protein shakes, and I started planning meals and all those kinds of things, which on the behavioral side of things isn't really complicated. But I think what really enabled that change was realizing that I could have a much better quality of life if I was willing to do that. And, and I think up to that point, I was thinking like, okay, well, I should have a better diet. I should do all these different things, but who cares? Because life, I, there was, a, there was this resignation. There was this cynicism. There was this negative thinking. It was so deeply woven in. And I think a lot of what what really opened up the possibility to see things differently was just being, connected with different groups of people, I mean, I think this, the social component is so important that mm-hmm. if when I realized one of the things that that led to some of those changes in 2007 was just getting involved with different groups and, and finding different social circles that really started to change my thinking and, and started getting to see that, wow, there, there's a possibility to, to really have a whole different kind of life than I'd ever really imagined up to that point.
0: So how hard was it to shift that mindset to like, g- stop drinking the coffee, stop smoking, stop, you know, with the rock star energy drink? How yeah, hard it, that? that had to be hard because you built those habits over time. So breaking it had to be hard too.
1: Well, it, it got a lot easier after I started focusing on different things. I, I think that trying to change behavior purely as a matter of an exercise of self-will is an exercise in futility. I mean, I, I've, I had tried to make changes just by white knuckling it before, and I think that's when it's hard. But what, what really made things, I mean, I'm not going to say that it got easy, but it got definitely got easier when I realized that changing my social environment was something that, that was a necessity. Uh, I, I don't believe it's really possible to change habits in any sustainable way if you keep the same social circles exactly the way they are. I mean, I think they're, we are the product of our relationships and our environment. And, and to some degree, you, you can't always change a lot of aspects of it. But there are, I mean, even changing my language was another piece of it, to changing what conversations I was going to have or not have. But one of the things that facilitated the change and which, which made it easier was in, in 2006, I had just the impulse to start. Uh, giving money to charity. And when I started to do that, that's that sparked a couple of dialogues that led to getting involved with an organization, going and seeing a handful of different people, and just hearing different conversations. And that was what set in motion a, a different way of thinking so that when I went back to my existing social circles, including my co-workers, family members, other people that I knew, I was having a different conversation. So it, so it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to, to abandon all my friends and, and, and talk to all different people. But sometimes it's possible to change social circles by having a different conversation. But the social dynamic definitely needs to change. We are not islands. We don't live in isolation. But the remarkable thing about it is that I found that when I changed my conversations with other people, they started to show up differently. It was almost like the, the same person would become a different person. And people I oftentimes surprise me with how much, how supportive they they are willing to be versus how I tended to assume that nobody would support a change in direction. But I think the key is that it has to be authentic. It's people are not impressed by new talk if the new talk is not accompanied by some kind of new action or a genuine commitment to a new way of life. Uh, So that that's those are a couple of elements I think really came into play there. But I think that was the key focus that I needed to change that social dynamic that was in place. That's when it became natural that the what what the 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 habits that used to have a stranglehold on me no longer had that kind of kind of power over me that they used to.
0: Um, I would love to get more into what exactly you look for in the social groups, but we need to take a quick commercial break and then we'll be right back. Chats from the Blog Cabin.
2: Hit subscribe. And don't miss the next episode.
0: Chats from the Blog Cabin. Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now.
2: Schools closing their doors again this year due to the COVID-19 pandemic is devastating for students, parents, and educators. Beyond that, it has disproportionately challenged low-resource school systems, further revealing educational and health inequities among communities. Teachers and parents are searching for tools that will enable schools to reopen, but many of these solutions are expensive and time-consuming. To ease the magnitude of challenges, Faced by high-need school districts, we can provide a simple solution that has a deep impact. I'm Della, the founder of Nestle Space. Nestle provides easy, beautiful, health-centered design that adapts to any environment. We design products that are attentive to bodily experience, emotional health, and ergonomics, including our portable, touchless handwashing station. Our handwashing stations bring running water anywhere with an outlet, accompanied by ergonomic design. Because no plumbing is required, our portable stations can be placed in classrooms, gymnasiums, lobbies, libraries, and beyond. The CDC has identified handwashing as a critical mitigation measure for schools during the pandemic. However, as evidenced by the high number of schools that have reached out to us over the last six months, many schools do not have prolific access to running water in classrooms and in other areas which they need to repurpose as classrooms in order to increase social distancing during the pandemic. We know schools are short on resources, dollars, space, and time. We can help, but we need your help to do so. We'd like to supply our Nestle Kids handwashing stations at no cost to selected public schools in need. Our first goal is to distribute these to 10 school districts. We are asking for your help to simply cover our production and shipping costs. Together, we believe we can help students more safely return to where they thrive most, at school. In these crazy times, we thank you for considering this and for your generosity. We believe that by helping support each other, we can make a positive impact in a very hard time. Again, thank you for your support. We hope you and yours stay well. And we are back. Now Dave, right before we went to the commercial,
0: you talked about changing your social circles a little bit. so. What did you look
1: for when you were changing your social circles? Well, I, I I, admittedly did not know as much of what I was looking for, as I can tell in, in retrospect now. But I, I think what I would have said at the time would be I, w- I was looking for like-minded people. And I would say now that sometimes like-mindedness is not necessarily a good thing. What What I found, and I didn't recognize it, was that I found people that changed my way of thinking because... I think the issue with I, I I accidentally stumbled on people that were less like minded than I thought when I was looking for like minded people. But but essentially what I what I find to be an important aspect of social dynamics as far as any kind of a new group or, or anything like that is what what type of thinking is necessary to be able to change the habits and what, and what type of thinking is unfamiliar. So I'll I'll tell you, there's the, the group that I got involved with, I I made reference to a minute ago that is a, is a perfect example of how this plays out is called uh, the hunger project. And they have, they work in developing countries to create sustainable solutions to world hunger and the unfamiliar aspect of their thinking that was really valuable for me was that, The I guess the more familiar type of conversations, the conversations I was familiar with tended to be griping, complaining, Mm -hmm. low level stuff, complaining about the weather, complaining about day to day. Just like there's a lot that that happens in those day to day conversations versus the conversations they were having were, were about how can we get together and really work out sustainable solutions for solving world hunger in countries where it appears there's no hope and that type of conversation. I mean, it it literally feels to me, it felt to me like breathing different air. And that's where, you know, so I think that's a one example of what I think an important principle is about if you look for a different environment, what, what does, what's unfamiliar, what is a, just a fundamentally different type of conversation that, and, and what type of group could you possibly seek out, that is familiar with those types of conversations. There's, there's a number of different places to look, but I, I do think charities and nonprofits are a good place to start, whether they're global or local or, or, the, or whatever nature of it. But um, yeah, th- those are just a couple of, of fundamental principles. But I, I think to kind of tie that together, I'll just say that disagreement is something that I, I see as our culture really needs to adopt a different attitude toward disagreement because i think a lot of times people look at disagreement as offensive or insulting but in my mind disagreement is where we learn and grow and challenge ourselves and so i think it's a healthy habit to actively seek out people who are likely to disagree with me about things that might challenge me to, to stretch my thinking in new ways
0: that's the whole point behind Chats from the Blog Cabin, too, is I have people come in telling their stories. So not only am I learning something new, but other people that are listening and watching are learning something new as well. And their their ways of thinking may be changed just a smidge, but it may open them up to the next time somebody has that conversation with them. So I think that's pretty awesome. Now, you talked about charities, and you particularly said the Hunger Project. Was that the first one that you did? What, did you do a Google search about it, or did you just, just know it something? Was-
1: Yes, it was not the first one I found, uh, as, as you asked that. I, I did look on a number of different websites and I found them on Charity Navigator, which is still functioning, I, I believe. I know they were at least six months ago when I went and looked on there before, but they rate charities based on a number of different criteria. But I, I found it through there and I went to the, the Hunger Projects website and I liked what I saw on the top of their banner. It said, Empowering Men and Women to End Their Own Hunger and... That, that language specifically spoke to me because I, I, I noticed how, and, I, and from doing more research and talking to people in the organization, it confirmed that there's a number of organizations that purport to end hunger and actually harm populations more than they help. Because one of the issues is that famine relief organizations are ideal in situations where there's been an earthquake, a flood, or a short-term disruption of the food supply and we just need to quickly get food somewhere. But if you go into a situation of chronic malnutrition in a country, and you try to solve the problem with a famine remedy, one of the things that can happen is it creates a dynamic of dependency, where uh, it can actually put farmers out of business locally. And so that the people actually become less able to take care of themselves, because they're now dependent on somebody who's bringing food. And so that's There was a lot of different conversations that went into learning more about what those sustainable solutions are, but that was kind of my path to what made me, I found other organizations, but I'll just say I didn't find things that spoke to me in the same way.
0: Probably the word empower because you wanted something that was going to empower you as well.
1: Yes, definitely. The word empower is a big one for me, for sure.
0: So let's talk about how all that mindset and changing of getting healthy and you started your own business. Now let's talk about how you apply those principles to your business and you can talk about your business as well. Exactly what you do.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, and so my business, I am a consultant. I'm I consider myself a systems architect, which a lot of people don't really understand what that is, but for any kind of a small business, a growing business, you need to have systems. I mean, and that's, that to me is the difference between businesses that stay small and businesses that get to the next level is they put systems in place and they make it a priority. And one of the things about systems I think people don't understand is that, you know, one of the passions I have is fairness and, you know, equal opportunity, people getting an equal shot. And one of the reasons why people don't get access to opportunity is when there is a, uh, a personality driven business there's and, and there's not a systematic approach, it tends to create an environment that's very unfair in a lot of different ways because what happens is you have, instead of a clear expectation, the clear defined set of principles that are followed, the, they, the, the people just kind of wing it. And, and I've even found some small business owners are even proud of not, of just being the way they are in, in a way that's actually working against them. But when, what I see when you put a system in place is that, you know, you, you, for instance, let's, let's say if you've got a key person in a job, you've got the owner and then maybe there's an office manager or, or whatever those different roles are. You've got one person who does their job really well, but it's not written down, it's not documented, there's no clear checks and balances in place. And as a result, that person's the only person who knows how to do their job. I mean, I've walked into small businesses where the owner frank, frankly told me they don't even know what somebody does all day that they pay a full-time salary to. How anybody can be okay with that is beyond me, but I've seen it at multiple times. And what happens is you end up with with this this really dysfunctional dynamic that forms in the workplace where people hide information, people, because the idea is, well, this is my job security, so I don't want anybody finding out how I do my job. And... Then you've got owners that, you know, they they won't fire somebody, even though they're they're not doing their job, but they're thinking, well, I I could never get somebody to replace them because I don't even know how to do their job myself. But the, the real impact is it just it just makes companies a miserable place to work when there's no systems in place and it's really not that hard of a problem to solve if you're willing to make a priority of it. But I always point to, you know, the classic example is you got McDonald's and all the other companies that have followed in their wake, not perfect companies, but they're scaled, but they, they scale. And that's one of the things, my first job in high school, I worked at Wendy's mm-hmm. and they taught me so many of the different things that I've learned about a business because the, the store that I worked at was basically a small business. We had 25, 30 employees, but we were part of a larger chain. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, I mean, they document everything. They have numbers for everything. They have metrics for everything. They've got systems for everything. That's why they're a large business because they have those things in place. Uh, and, And I think that the small businesses who understand the need for that, they can grow. But a lot of times businesses don't know how to put a system in place. And that's kind of where I come in, but there's three major systems that I believe every business needs to have. You need financial systems, mm-hmm. you need sales systems and you've got to have operational systems, which break down into full fulfillment and administration. A lot more I could say about that, but that's kind of, that's me in a nutshell.
0: That kind of breaks down into life too. You need to have kind of three different systems when you're going through on life, correct?
1: Health, finances and relationships. But yes, it's, it, I've noticed the same parallel. There's a B2B version there's a B2C version, but yep
0: so um so how has that helped you in your business and in your personal life with actually losing over 100 pounds
1: well when i think about things in a systematic approach one of the things that i always do whenever i'm trying to figure out how to accomplish a new goal i have learned over time that if i want to get results in a new way i'm gonna have to change my habits on a consistent basis and i'm not likely to do that by myself i'm not without like going back to the whole thing about cultural and social dynamics so one of the things that i've recently put in place and about 90 days ago i started this i have a daily weekly quarterly monthly and annual planning process and part of my structure is uh, and and i i did my 2021 plan late because it's it's already part way through the year but i said you know what better late than never and 2022 is going to be on time but I actually have a time slot blocked on my calendar for planning every week. I have an additional one monthly, another one quarterly. And I, and I went ahead and put those on my calendar and with recurring calendar appointments. And I also created accountability for myself with other people, other business owners that I know. And for instance, this week, I've got to check in with people by Wednesday on a particular aspect of my business planning that I said I would have done. Because I, I just know I won't get it done if I don't have any accountability for, to anybody else. I, I just know that about myself. I'll just keep saying I'm going to do it and, and then keep finding reasons why I don't have time and all this kind of stuff. But I find that externalizing the commitment is just something that I, I don't think it's permanently required. What I get, You get to a point where once a habit becomes automatic, I, I, I don't continue to need that on a permanent basis. But until I get to that point, I find that that's I think of external accountability, like a set of training wheels on a bike. It's just that additional reinforcement that helps me to make something stick.
0: Yes, I was about to ask you how important is accountability, because accountability is important. But you got to find someone that is like minded as you, that's not going to let you that will call you on your stuff instead of not let you slide by.
1: Yes. So but there is there is a qualitative difference I want to point out there as far as how accountability works is that I have seen a lot of unhealthy ways that people try to go about creating accountability where it might be like I, it's going to be a shaming fest and I'm going to humiliate you if you haven't done what you said you were going to do. And I, I see groups that operate that way creates a horrible dynamic. And, and what I've learned about accountability from an empowering standpoint, from the from the, using the word empowerment, is let's say I have a, a one other person I talked to last week and today's Monday, July twenty sixth. They said they were gonna have it done by 10 a.m. this morning. It's now eleven fifty seven a.m. and it's not done. So then my next conversation is gonna be, okay, well, first of all, let's check in. Uh have you gotten it done or not? If you're not, okay. Uh, what was there a breakdown? Did something happen? Is there any kind of support that you need around that? Uh, do you want to renegotiate what the commitment is? Do you want to recommit to the same thing? And, it, and if it's going to be a recommitment, I'm always going to say, what do we need to put in place to make sure that by this time next week, we're not back in the same position again. Do we need to do a midweek check week again? Do, is it where you unrealistic and what you committed to? Do we need to step the commitment down a level? Uh, do we need to restructure something? Uh, but I, I kind of think about it more like troubleshooting. I don't think of it as like, uh, you know, I, I'm going to do anything that's condemning or because that all that does is shut people down and, and then then, then you're, they're not only back to the old behavior again, but they're less likely to make a change. So I, I think people really need to learn a different relationship to accountability because the former, unfortunately, from what I've found, is more the norm than the latter.
0: It's all about the approach and the way you approach people. Like if you approach them, like, for instance, I, I used to be a school teacher. So there was one particular principal that I worked with. My daughters also happened to go to that school and I would approach her like, what can we do together to help my daughters get through school instead of what are you going to do? Because when you come out mm-hmm. like accusatory, or like you said, blaming, then they're they're going to immediately shut down and not even listen to anything that you have to say after that point.
1: Yep. I think one of the key phrases that I always start with at the beginning of the questions is what do you need from me? I always say like, what, what, what would you need from me to get this done by Thursday? Or, if, if that just isn't going to happen, then what can you commit to? That, that kind of thing. And, and I think you're right. The collaborative focus is much better. I notice in communities a lot of times, I was actually just having this conversation with somebody this morning, that a communities, it's a mistake for people to come to any kind of community with a transactional mindset. Like when you talk about this, your school, there's the community of the student body. There's the community of the faculty. And then you're actually part of a community with the teacher and the principal and if you kind of come into it with a collaborative mindset saying, what can we collectively do so that the child can get what they need to be successful, but versus like, what I think some parents might think that, Oh, I'm, I'm a consumer and or I'm a taxpayer or whatever, and it's your job to make this happen. So I'm just going to come in and say, all right, what are you doing about this? You know, that that's unfortunately, when you bring a transactional mindset like that into a community setting it just basically creates it boomerangs back and the other person's like well what about me well what are you doing about this you know that and then it just it just snowballs downhill from there
0: yeah definitely the blame game you don't want to put mm-hmm. the blame on anybody and that also helps with businesses as well correct
1: absolutely yeah i mean i think even even like you know one of the things that like right now for instance this is just the most routine seemingly innocuous things but like i've got a monthly prescription that I had, it was going to the wrong pharmacy. And then they said, okay, you got to call the other pharmacy. Oh, you actually got to call the doctor's office. And so far it's still, I still haven't figured out (laughs) how to fix the problem. This is the kind of thing that I would have gotten all worked up about years ago. And I would, I would just been calling yelling at somebody or stewing about it all this kind of thing. And now I'm just like, okay. What, what do I got to do to work around this? And I have a workaround. I've had, actually had to call one pharmacy and pull it from another one. And I'm like, well, okay, it's a five minute phone call I got to make, but now the problem's fixed. I'm just going to move on with life and I'll probably have to do it again next month until I figure something else out. But you know, it, it's, I look at it as more of, you know, what, unless I get to a point where I've done everything I can and I can't do anything more until somebody else does something that's not the mentality I used to have. I used to think of it as like, okay, well, it's not my job. It's your job. You better do this. I'm like, well, it doesn't really matter whose job it is. The question is what needs to be done. And if if I'm willing to let go of being right about that, it's not my job to do this and, and be, and just look at, okay, here's one thing I can do that'll solve the problem and if I just get the problem solved, then then it, then it's impersonal. Then then we just kind of move forward from there.
0: Now, how long did it take you to get that mindset? You said because before you would have said this is not my job, I'm not going to do it. Oh, you absolutely it and angry.
1: Well, to me, it's a textbook example of the difference between what I call the employee mindset and a consultant or a business owner mindset. Because I think when you when you're dealing with a client that and and you're having to wear all the hats, you quickly get the appreciation for it. You're you're not going to walk into a client's office and say, well, that's not my job, you know, whatever. But an employee, the way I I learned how to think as an employee, that was my mindset coming into trying to start a business with that mindset. And and I began to realize quickly that I wasn't going to get anywhere. So I I think it didn't happen overnight. I mean, it it had to take a series of experiences. But I, I think it's been really... There was no, there wasn't any one time when that light bulb finally came on. It was a series of small light bulbs that came on over really a 20 year period, to be honest. And I would say probably there's some of those light bulbs just came on in the last three months, but then there's some that came on five years ago. But it's, I really think it's a day by day process.
0: Now I'm going to kind of take another turn and talk about how COVID affected your business because you said you work for yourself and you started your own company. So, you know, COVID obviously must have had to had some kind of effect on the company.
1: Well, for me, the work that I'm doing right now, I mean, 2020 was for me a really good year. I, I realize that it's, for a lot of people was not a great year, but in my situation, everything I do is virtual and, and, there's very little that I'm doing now, even that requires in-person contact. I mean, I work with companies in different States and there's a lot I mean, I I like to be able to leverage local presence and and be able to go to somebody's office, but it's not inherently necessary for, for most of what I'm doing. There's actually only one client I'm working with right now that I even have any regular in-person contact with. So, uh, and actually with, a lot of the work, I mean, currently, the, a lot of the bread and butter that's paying the bills right now is accounting focused, is the financial component of the systems. And COVID really, uh, I, I think it, it impacted more of the people in the retail businesses from what I was able to see, people that had a brick and mortar presence. But, um, it it really, it's been kind of bizarre. There's a lot that I was predicting was going to happen in 2020 that really didn't come to pass. I mean, I was, first of all, really shocked at how short that initial recession lasted as far as the, the major dip in revenue. But uh, you know, there's a lot of things that have happened that have been swept under the COVID rug that from the research I've done were actually long-term, longer term problems that were coming along before COVID-19 ever came along. One example that we've we've heard about is that there's the lumber shortage, there's the microchip chip shortage and all those kinds of things like the lumber shortage there was you know going back to the recession of 2008 and 2009 that recession put a bunch of lumber mills out of business and there was a number of other factors in the intervening decade that have led to that lumber shortage that that's not a sudden thing that just happened in 2021 that was the combined uh, factors leading up to that point so my my point there is I think that uh, a lot of times what appears to be a short term issue is actually not. But that may not be a tangent you want to go down. But (laughs) that's kind of my reaction to the to to the covid question.
0: Um, So our time is almost up. Is there one last little nugget that you want to leave people with?
1: Well I, I really think that the, the the main question for anybody to consider about systems, if, if you want to take advantage of the idea of putting systems in place, whether that's in your personal life or in your business, the first of all, a couple of things to remember about systems is a they they are impersonal by nature. If you're the only one who can do something it's not a system. So the key to, to creating a system is you've got to, it's got to be outside of yourself. Somebody else needs to be involved. Otherwise you're, you're not, you may have a checklist that you follow by yourself. You may have things that you do on a daily basis and that's all fine and good. But in my mind, it's not a system until somebody else gets involved because there's no possibility for external accountability. But um, yeah, I mean, I think if I were to say only one thing about systems, it would it would really be that humility is the, is the goal of, of a system because, the, the the main habit to break when we put systems in place is letting go of the things we're proud of, because what we're proud of is usually what's holding us back.
0: I love that. And you can also apply that to life as well.
1: <laughs> yep, absolutely.
0: So where can people find you?
1: So my website is Dave baldwincom Baldwin dot com. Don't forget the hyphen in the middle. Uh, that's that's my my main landing place. And I'm also on LinkedIn. I admittedly, I'm not doing much on Facebook or social media, but you can find me on LinkedIn as well.
0: Well, Dave, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I also want to give another shout out to Erica who suggested that we get together and um, have this conversation because I think a lot of people need to realize that they need to take the emotions out of some things, especially when you're running a business, because when the emotions get caught up in the business world, you kind of make the wrong decisions sometimes.
1: Absolutely. And Erica is great people. So definitely I'll, I'll echo your shout out there.
0: Okay. So guys, um, like I said, Dave, we want to thank you again for being on. I'm going to put all the links to where you can find Dave, as well as some of the things that he talked about, including the charity navigator website, if it's still up and the show notes. And as always be blessed and most importantly, keep chatting. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye.
1: Thanks. Take care.
0: Chats from the Blog Cabin. We not only have voices for a podcast, but also faces for YouTube.
2: Don't miss your next episode.